AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety and Alcoholics Anonymous. Hello and welcome back to another uh, episode of our Sober Distancing series here on AA Beyond Belief. Every Friday, Angela and I get together for a live stream on YouTube and we uh, discuss a topic that might be of interest to secular people in recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, we put out a post on our uh, Facebook page this week asking for ideas for various topics and Somebody put out emotional sobriety, and uh, we thought that would be interesting. So that is the topic of the day. Uh, We can talk about emotional sobriety, Angela, and uh, take calls and comments through the chat room. So what do you think about that, Angela? Um, I think that it sounds pretty good. So I I think it'll be fun, and I'm I'm hoping that we get a few callers because I'd like to hear what people have to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did a little bit of research for this one. And uh, sometimes when I do a lot of research, it, I put so much information in my head, it causes a problem. <laughs> but I, uh, I read um, what, I, what I thought was the origination of the term emotional sobriety. And I, I think it is. And it was, it was taken from a letter that Bill Wilson wrote in 1958 to a friend. And at the time, Bill Wilson was sober for 20 years and was suffering depression terribly. And he was frustrated that all of his work in Alcoholics Anonymous with the fellowship and uh, even the steps and so forth um, didn't do a lot to relieve his depression. So he started thinking about, you know, what might be causing this. And he, he wrote his friend who was suffering the same problem with depression. And Bill came to the conclusion that he thought that his depression was the result of unhealthy dependencies that he was placing on people and circumstances for his own sense of uh, self-esteem. So he came up with this idea of emotional sobriety, which was a way of dealing with these unhealthy dependencies on people rather than, you know, through, you know, originally our unhealthy dependence upon alcohol, he was looking at unhealthy dependence upon people for emotional sobriety. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah. You said that you had listened to, you know, um, somebody kind of translated and that that was different than the original letter. Yeah. Yeah. Bill's letter. Um, and I'll post a copy of it with the podcast, but it's it's written in his vernacular, which is really um, odd. You know, he was a, he was a <laughs> guy that was born in the 1800s, you know, and, you know, so right. his, the way that he words things is a little bit different. Uh, it's just like reading the big book. But uh, anyway, he wrote this letter, and when I read his letter, I really had kind of a difficult time relating to it. Uh, but uh, Alan Berger, uh, who is a psychologist, and he's written some books uh, like 12, um, 12 Stupid Things That Hurt Your Sobriety or something like that. Anyway, he, he wrote, he wrote, he's written a lot of books, and he did a really good job. He um, put together a series of talks that specifically breaks down Bill Wilson's letter and I learned a lot from that, which I found interesting. I can't believe this, but we already have a caller. I sh- should we take All this right. call, Angela? Sure. <laughs> Maybe they know more than we do. Yeah. 
see what's going on here. Hey, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you guys? All right. Who is this? Great. Um, I'm Andy. I'm uh, calling you guys from Austin, Texas. Hey, Andy. And uh, I've listened to, listen to your show a few times. Hey, Angela. Hey, John. Um, listened to your show a few times. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I don't know that I have a, a whole lot to add to this, uh, but I thought I'd call in anyway and give you guys some support. This, this term, this particular thing of emotional sobriety, what is it? To me, it's kind of a fluffy thing, maybe, um, that we talk about. You know, we, physical sobriety is pretty cut, you know, clean, right? You, you know what that is. It, it's either there or it's not. Um, and we, you know, get these little medallions for, you know, various times of physical sobriety. But nobody gets uh, any medallions for periods of emotional sobriety because they might be, it might be a little harder to attain, you know, it might have to keep giving them back. Um, yeah, at least I find that, you know, it could be, could be an up and down road for me. Um, I sometimes fight uh, depression and those things. And, you know, that can certainly screw with my emotional sobriety. So um interested in, you know, kind of a, a little bit about um, the tools, you know, perhaps we use to, you know, feel emotionally uh, sober or what I would call grounded, I guess, would be the best term that I'd probably use for emotional sobriety. And I know when I feel that, right? And I know when I don't feel that. But I don't always know why um, I'm one way or the other. So if you guys have any insight into that from your experience, uh, that'd be, you know, pretty helpful for me. Um, I just know it's, it's it's one of these things that, you know, I have emotional sobriety, then I don't, and I'm not always, you know, completely clear on why it comes and goes. And maybe it's just part of life, you know. Well, Angela and I were talking just before we got on, and, you know, she, she mentioned, and I kind of agree with her, she said that she thinks that emotional sobriety, she just sees it as the program, basically. Is that right, Angela, that you just saw that as kind of recovery <laughs> well, just, in general? Yeah, it's just recovery. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's what we what we do um, after we do the steps, you know, because in the steps we, we learn about ourselves and I truly get honest about, you know, how we think about things and uh, the messages we got, all of that kind of stuff. And so this is, in my my mind, just the applying that to our lives, you know, on a daily basis. Um, you know, one of the quotes that, that I heard, um, was reading um, in Joe's book, um, the AA Beyond Belief, um, he, he said, uh, let's see, the beginning of self-knowledge, recognizing that your motives are the same as other people's, and that's uh, from Mason Cooley, um, and what he was talking about there is, you know, our um, continuing to seek approval from other people and want to control and want to not be controlled and, and all of that, and so for me, I, I think, you know, or when I'm thinking of emotional sobriety, I'm thinking of, you know, how well we're doing in our self-regulation of of stuff and uh and you know like you said and um, that can that can vary sometimes we're, we do well at it and sometimes it's it's not as easy and we have other things to play in our life uh, sometimes it's depression or anxiety or you know i don't know the, the occasional pandemic um <laughs> and uh yeah and so uh to me, I think that that it's pretty much you know the the same thing as you know as um, recovery. So, 
But I really like what you said about how it's easier to, you know, say what sobriety is, physical sobriety, because, you know, you either are drinking or you're not. <laughs> um, but with emotional sobriety, that's uh, much, much more difficult. Although I do have an idea now for, you know, an entrepreneurship of, of making emotional sobriety coins. And I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you guys know on well, that. I, I like that. I like that you're equating it with recovery because it's so much more open I think then my definition that I've been using of just feeling grounded or feeling good, because um, maybe, you know, you're in recovery when you're not feeling good, right? And you're in recovery when you're feeling good. So I think your definition gives a lot more leeway for being human and having the ups and downs. I, I, I think I'll adopt that one. I like it. Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks, well, Andy. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. All right. Great. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate that. You. Well, that was nice. Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> you know, I also thought the same thing. I, Whenever I would think about emotional sobriety, I would just think of, you know, the program itself because, you know, the, the only step that even mentions alcohol is the first step. All the rest of the steps have to deal with, you know, our, our emotions, basically, you know, our, <laughs> right. how we react to life. And, um, you know, I always thought in terms of like step six and seven, I always thought in terms, I've always thought those of those steps as my, my effort to grow um, as a person and to deal with how I react to life and everything. And so I always kind of thought of those steps as step six and seven. And, and if I ever heard the word emotional sobriety, I just thought of it as, as a way of not letting my emotions run me and just a way to have a better a better way of reacting to life, I guess. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, in the alternative 12 steps, a secular guide to recovery. Um, I like it in that, that, uh, well, one, the majority of the book is about, you know, emotional recovery. So uh, one person that I've been going through it with um, in the last year, uh, she has uh, more sober time than I do. Um, but that was one of the comments she made in doing, going through the steps with this is that it, it seems to be much more about emotional recovery or emotional sobriety than um, how she'd done the steps any other time before. And uh, particularly, you know, the suggestions um, from probably step eight through 11 in this book have a, have a lot of things that are really trying to get you to, to look at how you're thinking about things and, um, you know, how to, um, how to be able to sit with your feelings and act instead of react and take responsibility like in the moment and, uh, and all of those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, I'm, I like it. I find that to be super helpful. Um, one of the things that, uh, that we thought of when we saw this topic, um, I believe that the person who posted it um, was posting it from the point of view that, that, you know, I know you and I have both heard in the meetings of, of more of a pejorative, you know, like uh, that person doesn't have emotional sobriety or, uh, you know, judgment or something along those lines. Uh, what do you think, you know, they're getting at with that. Yeah. I, uh, so when I was first getting sober, 
I, I, all I cared about was not drinking and not ending up in jail. If I could just not drink and not go to jail, I was good. Okay. And so when I would hear other people talk about more loftier goals, I wasn't, I wasn't there in my hierarchy of needs yet. I wasn't ready to deal with my emotional growth or personal growth. I just said, I just needed my basics covered. And Angela, it took me a long time. I, I had a lot of um, instability financially you know, just transportation, getting around. I, I had a hard life, you know, the first couple of years. So that those first two, three years was really spent just taking care of myself physically to make sure that I had food, clothing, you know, all that kind of basic stuff, freedom. Um, and then after I, I had those basics covered, then I started thinking more in terms of um, the quality of my sobriety, I guess. But still, I always hung on to the idea that I, all I really cared about, the most important thing to me was to not drink, because I knew if I drank, I would just go back to, to repeating what I had lived before and just have worse problems. And if I, and I knew if I, if I didn't drink, that I would have a chance for a decent life. And I did see my life getting better, you know, by not drinking and gradually and surely it did get better. So yeah, when I would hear that early on, I thought it it was hard for me to relate to, but later I could relate to it. And I I understood the whole idea of just, you know, working on myself, you know, self-improvement and, and um, dealing with my emotions and reactions to life a little bit better. But when I was reading this, um, not reading, but when I was listening to Alan Berger, I, I really learned a lot from him. There's some, there's a lot of stuff you can find that if you have Amazon music, it's uh, for free. It's called, um, anyway, it's Alan Berger. I'll post what it is, but he goes through this series of, um, talks about Bill's letter about emotional sobriety. And he basically came to the conclusion that what we need to do is we need to, examine what what it is about us that causes us to create this faulty self so in other words he says that you know we're born with this idea that by by the true person that we are isn't good enough to be loved and accepted by others so we create this false identity this ideal person that we should be to get the love and acceptance that we want and that person is almost impossible to be and the whole idea of emotional sobriety is to become your own person and he really went into some interesting detail about about all of that which i found really fascinating yeah well it's kind of interesting then that you know if that's the background of it what you know i've i've heard at times in the rooms when somebody is you know, talking about emotional sobriety or uh, judging somebody else, um, that they're often, uh, I guess, judging them or saying it because the person is not optimistic or, you know, doesn't seem to be, you know, um, uh, super happy or, you know, all of those things positive, um, you know, that, uh, that if you're in emotional sobriety, then, you know, you're supposed to be happy, joyous, and free all the time. And when, you know, some who have, you know, any, you know, amount of sober time uh, display some of that stuff, sometimes it's taken as that, you know, they need to work on their, their emotional sobriety. So, you know, or, and to me, it's also the same as when somebody, you know, is, is referred to as dry, 
um, or something along those lines. I'm like, you know, if the, the person doesn't drink, then, you know, they're sober, <laughs> you know. So the quality is different in all of us. Um, but I think that's what people are getting at generally with emotional sobriety is the quality of somebody's, you know, recovery program. And it's just interesting because, you know, sometime, I mean, we don't know what's going on with everybody else's lives or why they're behaving the way they are and, and things like that. So it's, it's kind of an odd thing. Um, another uh, thing in my uh, district or the district that I, I was in um, here, uh, they do a workshop every February um, called When Chocolate Doesn't Work Anymore. And it's, you know, um, a work or a, um, a day long kind of event where they have different panels and discussions on emotional sobriety. Um, and so that was interesting to me when um, when I'd been sober a little while to, to put it together that that's what that was about. You know, I got the idea that, you know, um, you're supposed to be working on stuff, but I thought it was all part of, you know, sobriety and uh, doing the program, you know, I didn't know that they had, you know, a separate kind of uh, idea for what emotional sobriety was. Um, but it was a, it was a good workshop. Um, they do stuff like um, uh, fourth step um, little journaling things where you get to work on, you know, a couple of items that, uh, that maybe you hadn't been uh, looking at or felt some resentment for and and then expanded on that and and how different people did that in in a shorter period of time so in little snippets so that was kind of cool but. yeah and you know when you were talking about how um, people will <clears throat> would uh, look at someone in a meeting and think that they weren't oh that they weren't happy or like like other people could be um, something that I picked up from Alan Berger is that that this there's an idea of different differentiation I'm not pronouncing that right differentiate differentiation I didn't know I couldn't pronounce that word anyway the whole <laughs> idea of that is um, he used the example of a cell so a cell is undifferentiated and when a, when a cell is undifferentiated what it will do is it will take on the qualities of other cells that it's around so like if it's a if it's if it's undifferentiated and it's around these cells that are going to make an ear then it will make an ear but once the cell becomes differentiated it will it, it has its own dna and it will only do what it's supposed to do and so the whole idea is that people are, should be individuals so um i think what happened to me is i was undifferentiated when i got into aa and i was um I was um, influenced by my environment. So I was like a cell that took on the qualities of all the other cells in that meeting room. And so I kind of lost myself. I was actually, my emotional sobriety was being impacted because there was this pressure that's put on me, but maybe unknowingly, um, like, you know, of I don't want to be that guy that everyone else is judging as having a poor quality of sobriety because I'm not happy or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Right. When in yeah. truth, if I, if, I, if I could just differentiate myself from the rest of the room and just be true to however I was feeling at the time, that is actually more um, emotionally sober because I'm at least connecting to whatever I am feeling and not trying to be, you know, conform myself to whatever the, the group was. And I just found that whole idea really interesting because that's just something I kind of discovered about myself just, you know, in the last year or so. Right. 
Yeah, no, it, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and, and you know, you've heard too about people talking about how in meetings how they um, grew up. They talk about sobriety as kind of growing up, like they never grew up. That like people would say that they were stuck, like if they started drinking when they were twelve, that they were always like a twelve year old. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard right. that? Yes, <laughs> yes, I think so. so. Some people think about emotional sobriety as just kind of growing, growing up. Yeah, well, and, and you know a lot of it is maturing just in general, you know, the natural process, hopefully, um, of maturing as well. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking about something on, on the group part that you said, what was it? About how you, you kind of adapt to whatever the yeah. group. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, in, I think a lot of us have experienced in different places the idea that that you shouldn't you know yeah have your own differentiation and and that you should um you know if you if you don't have the big book with you that you're carrying at all times and uh underlined and you know have all the stuff in it um and be working the steps as they are written in the book and you know do all of those things then yeah then you're you know kind of put in as an outcast, you know, that, uh, you know, and I don't even know that, that in some of those places, they even call that, you know, emotional sobriety, uh, we might be in a highfalutin subject right now. So <laughs> for some people, <laughs> but yeah, the, the judgment in there and the, the being able to uh, get to a point where you can um, sit with your own feelings and your own ideas and, and do that within the group, um, you know, I, I think that's some some pretty cool emotional sobriety and, and some good recovery right there. Um, but it, it's not easy to do. Um, when I was thinking of the subject, I was thinking of, uh, you know, one of the things my home group does for me is, um, is that it, you know, it has certain, you know, trusted people that kind of act as, a, it acts as a container to hold some of my, my stress and uncertainty or my difficult emotions or things that may be too scary for me to uh, handle on my own. I can go in there and say that, you know, I'm upset or I'm sad or this happened or I don't know what to do about this and that it's an okay thing. Um, for me to to do that and in just doing that I can process it sometimes people can share what they did if they had a similar thing but part of it is just you know sharing it and uh, and that you know I have been concerned at certain times that sharing some of that uh, might you know be seen by some people as not having quality emotional sobriety or quality sobriety because you know if I've been sober a number of years you know and I'm still you know struggling with you know um, you know my partner or, or you know the neighbor or some sort of you know thing like that then what does that mean and um, and yeah, and so it, it is something that um, that I have been concerned about before, but ultimately, yeah, ultimately I decided that I just, you know, that I needed to process it yeah, and that, me you know, too. And that it, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what, I, I uh, you know, I have always talked about whatever was bothering me in meetings. If I was having a problem in my life, I would bring it up. I'd talk about how I felt about it, what was going on with me. And if you heard me, you'd probably think my life is a mess. But <laughs> that was that was how I would kind of get myself on track. That was that was what was helping me. So sometimes if you hear somebody talking about, you know, honestly about themselves and that maybe that they're a little confused or they're afraid or whatever. 
you know, it's not that the person doesn't have their act together. It's that the person's getting their act together. It's they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. You know, yeah. That's someone actually to emulate. It's not someone to, to, um, you know, cast aside as an unhealthy person. I don't think necessarily. Right. Yeah. I mean, first you have to do their inventory and then you can <laughs> right. cast them aside if, right. you know, if that's what's necessary. <laughs> I'll tell you something else that was interesting, this whole idea of dependence, um, you know, the, the emotional sobriety being that this whole idea that you don't want to be dependent upon someone else to make you feel okay. And Bill Wilson looked at AA itself as a dependency that he needed to cut off. Uh, yeah. And that's, that was a real interesting thing to read that Bill Wilson did. He, he realized that he needed to be independent, not dependent. So it's like, um, Alan Berger says, you don't want to trade an unhealthy dependency for a healthy dependency. The whole idea is to be independent. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. And I think we've talked about that a little bit in this, um, sober distancing podcast thus far, so I, I won't go into it <laughs> anymore, but it is a, a big topic for me right now, the, the idea of, you know, of over-dependence on certain things within uh, the AA structure or dogma or whatever, um, and, uh, and how that can be, you know, damaging to people, and, um, and it's something that, it's interesting because, um, you know, I can't talk about it with everybody, um, because there are some people, you know, that, um, that it's, uh, it steps on what's important to them, and so, you know, um, I feel like in, in my life, part of my uh, differentiation or <laughs> individuation or whatever it is, is that I can hold in one hand the AA's faults and their dogma and the ways that they actually harm people and the ways that, you know, that it falls short on a lot of different things. But I can also still, you know, work within it and help people and be a voice of, you know, of uh, secularism and show people that they can, you know, get sober, which is the first thing, and then, you know, move on to recovery and, and have a better life. Um, but I can hold both of those um, different ideas at the same time. And to me, that's a, you know, that's a big part of what this whole thing is about is that I'm not attached, too attached to either um, of those ideas. Um, yep. and it's so, getting away yeah. from black or, black or white thinking and living in, in the gray area, I guess. There's some, there's 26 people in the chat room. Unbelievable. And a couple of comments I can read. Uh, Bill Harris writes, emotional sobriety was the beginning of serenity for me. Stuff happens, but I began to be able to react calmly to adversity is how he sees it. Nice. Nice. And then Bubbles Blonde, I think is how you <laughs> say this. Yeah. Says emotions, feelings, ew, ick. The two worst <laughs> words in the dictionary. I've often heard that one's emotional growth is linked to the age one became addicted to alcohol. Yeah, I've heard that. And I sort of think that emotional sobriety is sort of wave-like, hence calling the top or peak of the wave a high-quality serenity. The valley of the wave would be realizing that one's sobriety could be jeopardized by the low points and taking action. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, with the the age thing, um, 
that's a, a difficult one too, uh, at least for me. I, I think it's a, a personal thing because when I started drinking alcoholically, I was later in my 20s. Um, and when I stopped, I was in you know my, my 30s. And so I don't believe that I was behaving like a, you know, a proper 20 something, <laughs> you know, in my 20s when I was drinking alcoholically, I was probably behaving like, you know, a 14 year old. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know how much credence I, I give to that idea. I can see where, where, you know, it came from and how it might be helpful for some people um, as far as processing, you know, what they need to do or what their next stages of development are. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't make as much sense um, for my particular situation. Now, if we go to, you know, like uh, my other solutions for, um, for, you know, what was going on with me, I, I was a compulsive overeater um, far before I, I ever started drinking alcoholically. And so if we look back at that, that's probably like about age 12 um, that I started doing that. And so, you know, yeah, I could kind of see a little bit in there that, you know, if that's a continuation, which alcohol was the continuation after I could no longer compulsively overeat. Um, but, you know, again, it, it could also, you know, be even sooner than that with, you know, um, uh, developmental trauma and stuff. So it's an interesting idea, but, you know, I, I don't know. Well, like everything in, uh, AA and recovery and stuff, it, it can be different for different people. And yeah. And you know, my drinking was bad. Um, you know, I started drinking young, but it was really bad in my early twenties. My early to mid twenties was the worst of my drinking, which was really a relatively short period of time. But that was also a period of time when I should have been <laughs> learning how to be a, a responsible adult, which, um, I guess my drinking diverted me. Then we got another caller. Let's see, take this okay, call. Great. I love to get these calls. How you doing? Hey, it's Jackie. Hey, Jackie. <laughs> Hi, Jackie. <laughs> hey, Angela. Hey, John. How you guys doing? Not bad. Not bad. Yeah, good. So, can you enlighten yeah. us? Good. Yes, we would like to hear. <laughs> yeah, we would yeah. like can to I, hear. Can I please? Yes, please, please do. I would. I do know. I, I love. I love this stuff. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well. I was thinking of a bunch of stuff. I mean, first off, I uh, I feel like we're pretty like-minded, at least the three of us and probably a lot of folks listening, which is, you know, all of that dogma and the, uh, just, you know, the people that come in to AA and they, they say the same story all the time. You know, they, they share a meeting, same story. And, um, and they're also very quick, at least in my experience, to tell me how I'm supposed to feel, you know. Uh, I, I remember going to a meeting a couple of days after my mom had passed away and some stranger I'd never met before trying to tell me that I should just, you know, pray to God to take this pain away, which I thought was so dumb, right? Like, I feel like we should grieve when people die. But, um, so, so I think that's what some people think emotional sobriety is, right? And I, I think you guys have been alluding to this, right? That I, I should just be okay when people I love die or if I lose a job or there's a pandemic or whatever. Right. And, uh, it's interesting because I feel like I, like many of us, you know, I got, I was so desperate and when I got sober and just was willing to stand on my head, if you told me to anything to feel better. And so I just drank the Kool-Aid and soaked in all the dogma. And then the shit hit the fan for me 
you know, in double digit recovery. And, and it's so interesting because I feel like Bill in a way, <laughs> you know, it's like I hit a terrible time in my life and I felt like it was so unfair that I had been sober and I had done all this stuff. And for me, what happened was actually, that's when I realized I didn't think there was a God. Well, I, for me, I know there was no God now, you know, but, <laughs> which was, was really interesting. But it took me to a journey to go within, you know, just like you guys are all talking about, like to seek professional help, to, um, to differentiate, to, to not have to drink the Kool-Aid anymore because it wasn't working, right? You people, not you people. Those people told me <laughs> like, oh, just do this and you'll be happy, joyous and free. And it didn't, it didn't work, you know, it didn't, it didn't work. And so, um. So I'm grateful because it did take me on a whole other path, almost like I want a second sobriety date, you know, because uh, although it was really hellish and painful, um, uh, you know, it, it took me to a place I where I, I mean, I'm not happy. I mean, you know, I can be, I guess, happy, but I'm content, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just okay most days. And so I guess the, the word I was thinking uh, when I was listening to you guys trying to figure out if I should call or not <laughs> um, was balance, balance, right? Not that I have achieved it, but it's in the striving for the balance. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause I don't think I'll ever get it. Um, but it is like not being pulled to those extremes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and then not not beating yourself up when you're, you know, not on the the you know higher road and feeling great and wonderful and all of that, uh, you know, just being like, oh, it's, I'm I'm working towards balance, and today it's you know not that great, so you know we'll something, try again later or tomorrow or something like that. Alan Berger um, said in one of his tapes on this, he said that uh, in line to what Jackie is saying, it's not necessarily about, you know, suppressing or controlling emotions, but it's just basically coping with life on life's terms. So that if you have, if you have a death in the family, you know, you recognize that fact. And he was talking about, he was uh, using for an example, um, Victor Frankl's book, book, Man's Search for Meaning. And so Victor Frankl was looking at um, people in Auschwitz, um, who and he was looking at those who did better from a psychological standpoint. And what he found was the people who let go of the idea that people care did better. So in other words, you're sitting, you're, you're in this concentration camp and you have this idea that you're raised with that people care about each other, but the Nazis don't care about you. They don't care about you. And if you think that, if you, if you think that they care about you and if you're looking for something from them, you know, you're not going to do very well psychologically. But the people who realize the truth that the Nazis don't care about them, those people don't care about them, but they found their own value from within. They dealt with the reality that they were they were in. So in other words, they said, the Nazis don't care about me, but I care about me. And I'm going to keep myself going. So it's just kind of, you know, it's kind of a dramatic way of looking at it. But it's just, a, it's just I think their emotional sobriety was just recognizing the fact, the, the, the situation that they were dealing in and not looking for, you know, just the reality of the situation, I guess. And dealing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that yeah. makes sense to Absolutely. me. Bing, yeah. yeah. Reality is, is something that uh, I think we've all, um, we were all either avoiding in our, our using and stuff. Um, but the, the thing that's, you know, 
quite difficult for us. You know, that's why we have all of the stuff written about acceptance and surrender and, you know, blah, 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 and looking at our own stuff and sorting all of that out is so that we can, you know, deal with reality and live in reality. And it's, you know, reality isn't always fun. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, when I when I first got, go ahead, when, oh, when I first got sober, I had a big a shirt a shirt that said reality, what a concept, <laughs> right? Because it was, it was so elusive to me, but even, you know, I mean, you guys both know that I'm really into this mindfulness stuff. And to me, that too has, has grounded me in emotional sobriety, you know, like um, the ability to sit still, you know, in with myself, with not a lot of distractions, except for this monkey mind of mine, um, mm-hmm. and just sit through stuff, you know, absolutely. Acceptance, mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, but you just mm-hmm. can't change reality. You just can't. <laughs> and like, and I just think for a long time, I thought I could, you know, um, yeah. and yeah, I, I can't. So, yeah. um, oh, and sense. also I want to tell you guys, I have two books sitting here. They're both called emotional sobriety. One <laughs> is called, um, um, <laughs> Because I'm crazy with the book buying. Um, <laughs> one's called Emotional Sobriety Two: The Next Frontier. It's, uh, it's by it's from the Grapevine. But I think John that it has that. I think it has Bill W's letter yep. in the front that you keep alluding to. Yep. Yep, yeah, yeah, it does. The Next Frontier: Emotional Sobriety. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And then and then it has just a bunch of stories of you know from AA people talking about it. But then the other one is actually by I think like a therapist or something it's called emotional sobriety from relationship trauma to resilience and balance so so yeah there's all kinds of literature out there for this stuff yeah Angela I'll send you a copy of that (laughs) (laughs) if you could just send me a a copy of your entire library that'd be great Um, I would love that (laughs) wait and vice versa please (laughs) Uh, anyway Guys, I have to tell you every week I have to sit here and say, don't call in. You can't call in oh. every week. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to be good. I just, uh, I just, you know, really like you guys and oh, love you. what you're doing. And so, um, so, but I, you know, I, I try to try to pause and, um, well, I love it when you but, call, uh, we, yeah, we, we need, take... call, we need callers. <laughs> it helps. It helps okay. keep, well, you, keep you us know, going. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Well, I, you know, I love this stuff and, uh, really like what you guys do appreciate everything you do and um yeah just gonna if you need me to call back just text me okay i'll um, I'll talk to you all later all right take care thank you thank you very much bye you're welcome well that's cool yeah jackie's great so Yeah, I mean, if, if people decide that they don't want to call in, we can actually just call Jackie. Right, we could. <laughs> we'll, we'll be like, Jackie, what do you think about this subject? Yeah, we could. It's so, like uh, that she's, one show. She's great. Uh, you'd call with a you call the a phone a friend. friend. Yeah, phone a friend. <laughs> phone a friend. Yeah, yeah. like oh, nobody's calling in. No one likes the subject. Yeah, I'll phone a friend, Jackie. But when I also um, this whole thing about emotional sobriety and Jackie was saying that there's books out there about it. Um, Alan Berger kind of thought it through too. He actually came up with a way for um, inventorying your emotional sobriety. And so what he would do, he would say that pretty much like you do your inventory in the big book where you have these columns and your first column would be, you write down whatever an upsetting event is. So the example he used is this guy who um, was struggling with his sobriety and would always um, 
would always relapse and his and it was causing problems in his marriage and his wife could never trust him and was getting tired of his continuing um, relapses. So anyway, he comes back from a meeting after he got his six-month chip, and he was so happy about it, and he was disappointed when his wife wasn't. So this was his upsetting event. His wife, he wasn't getting the validation from his wife. His wife wasn't happy about this. So the second column is to look at what your unhealthy dependence is. And in his case, his unhealthy dependence was trying to get that validation from his wife, you know, and then you look at the demand in the third column and his demand was that his wife be excited and happy about his six, you know, his six month chip. Right. So so then you look at what do you do instead? So, or what did you do? And in this particular case, the guy was upset with what his wife did. So he just withdrew and, and started feeling bad about himself. And so, so that was how he reacted. But what he needed to do, and this is the fifth column, what he needed to do to stay stay centered was to understand that his sobriety was for him and he needed to feel good about it. It didn't matter what his wife felt about his six-month chip. He needed to feel good about it for his own, for his own sense of self-worth, I guess. Right. Oh, that's great. I love that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I've never seen that before. I mean, I don't know how different that is really from just your normal um, inventory, you know, (laughs) but, you know, because you look at your normal inventory, you look at some, you know, you look at some um, resentment or feeling that you have about something, then you look at your part in it or how it affected you. And then you learn, kind of learn from it. So it's pretty much essentially the same sort of inventory, I guess. Right. But, you know, if you frame it a different way or use different columns, then it seems a lot more exciting too rest of us who've been sober <laughs> for a little while are like all right a new inventory let's go yeah yeah <laughs> but it did get me to think because you know um here i am i i'm you know i i i feel like i've done a you know i've done a lot of work on myself i guess you know i do my best but um yeah there are times when i probably still am looking for validation from other people you know wanting other people to like me and so forth um and I think it would be probably a good idea for me to stop and, and do an inventory like this. If I'm upset about uh, an interaction that I have with somebody to stop and think about, you know, what is it? What is it about me that here that I'm so upset about? And you know, just, yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like that. And, and I think it's important. And for me um, with those kind of spot inventories and, and stuff is uh, uh, the work is still, um, allowing myself to sit with it. So, you know, kind of like what Jackie was saying with, you know, meditation, just to sit with the feeling without attaching to it. Um, I think with this uh, type of stuff, I, I, you know, have been working on sitting with the feeling and, and uh, you know, just recognizing that I'm resentful towards, you know, whatever it is and that, you know, that kind of sucks and, and I have anger and I have this and that and the other and, you uh, and that, you know, if I, I share it with people or I write on it or, or you know, um, go to a therapist, um, that usually, you know, it resolves itself or the, the strong feeling that I'm, I'm, you know, 
finding unpleasant will eventually pass. Um, and so, yeah, so I still continue to work with that. And that's, you know, kind of some of the basic stuff just in, in recovery in general is learning that the feelings that we have are, are temporary, <laughs> you know, so that, you know, whatever feeling I'm having right now is not going to be the way it's going to be forever. And, um, and I reco- recall vividly in early recovery, you know, that I felt that way all the time that, you know, whatever I was feeling was horrible, um, unless it was great. Um, but it was, uh, you know, going to be that way forever. And it's, it's something I struggled with, with depression as well. Um, because you know, that, uh, that, uh, dark passenger, as I sometimes have called it, um, you know, it, uh, it tells me that, you know, this sucks and it's not going to get better and it's sucked before. And you might convince yourself that it's going to get better, but you know, it's going to suck again. And, and, um, all of those things are true. Um, but I've also learned that they're all okay because it does pass, you know? Yeah. You know, that I was thinking about depression cause I, I, um, I don't suffer from it so much now because I've been treated for it and I take an antidepressant. So I don't, I don't get depressed. But during that period of time when I was suffering from depression, that seemed to be the time when I was really motivated to, to try to fit, to try to try to um, find a way uh, to get out of it, I guess. But I, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess I felt like the depression was motivating me to grow and learn about myself and now that I don't have that depression, I have to have some other motive. And usually what happens is if there's got to be some sort of a problem in my life that presents itself for me to start taking time really to, to do an inventory, you know, um, I, don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I, I, I wonder if I'm, if I'm not really doing as much as I probably should do because I'm not feeling that depression. I still feel sad when I need to be feel sad and so forth, but I don't, I don't, fall into depressions anymore right yeah you you probably should look at that because you know no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) no what i was thinking of um was was more of um uh with the with depression and stuff and and um and whether or not you know you're you're working on things or continue to working on things I what my sponsor had uh, told me a long time ago that our minds are problem solving machines and that you know one of the problems that um, that I could work on was solving for uh, happiness or solving for serenity and that you know if I, I worked on those things it, it gave my mind something to do so yeah so I, I agree and I, I don't think that it's necessarily you know depression that you you have to have something like that to be continuing to grow or that you know you have to be in an active addiction or you know any of those things I think that it's you know our minds are problem-solving machines and and if you know we're bored or don't have something it'll 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 create a problem um for us to solve and so you know again some of this uh, emotional sobriety and and recovery stuff is important to to be able to recognize that as you know what's going on rather than attaching too much to whatever the problem is that we've created because sometimes we can become extremely obsessive and uh, get ourselves into trouble and and sometimes it does lead to to relapse yeah you know and also after after a person's been sober for a while i mean you're, you do get a little bit of stability in your life um you know you're not going through all these dramatic problems and and so forth like like you were in your drinking so i mean i guess i do have that too you know i do have some stability simply because i 
have met the basics of my life and I'm sober. So I've, so I've got that. And it's a lot, it's more difficult, I guess, to recognize when something is off um, now. And for me now, it's always related to work. It's some kind of work problem that makes me stop and think that, wow, there's something here I need to look at. But because otherwise I don't really, I feel like I'm okay <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is which is cool. I think um, sometimes we don't talk about that either. That you know, because it can be uncomfortable, particularly um, in the early years when you're feeling okay. You know, when you when you're not in some sort of dramatic thing or a dramatic relationship or you know dramatic job situation or whatever it is. You know, when it's like you realize that oh wow, there's you know everything is is okay for the moment. That can be very unsettling. Yeah, it's weird. It's <laughs> so. weird. I swear to God, I thought during my early sobriety, I, I like my first ten years anyway, I thought that I I needed to have that chaos. And because I would still have these problems, even after I stopped drinking, I would have these problems in life. And I thought I was self-sabotaging myself, but that really wasn't the case. I mean, I just had, I just, I just had some, I just had to deal with some stuff, I guess. I just had to learn from, from my mistakes uh, in sobriety. Mary is writing. She says, for me, emotional sobriety is about maturing and feeling comfortable in my own skin. Now in my mid-60s, I've never had more serenity. Thank God I no longer have the angst and stress I had in my 20s. She kind of describes what I just talked about for myself, too. <laughs> when I was in my 20s, yeah. I had all that angst and so forth, and not so much now. Right, yeah. I was just getting no, older. I totally get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I look forward to to having what, what Mary has. So. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, yeah, yeah. If I'm lucky, then, uh, then someday I might. Yeah. Um, we have time if anybody wants to call. Uh, the number is 844-899-8278. So feel free to give us a call. Yeah. Um, something that came up uh, in my mind as we were talking about this is, um, uh, so, you know, when I got sober, there were, you know, some people around my age um, that were getting sober as well. And so, you know, um, it, and I think that the, for some people, you know, it depends on when they get sober. Some people don't have like a little cohort or anything like that, you know, so I think it's it's your location and age that might um, play into that. Um, but one of the things that I noticed was that um, some of the, the people in the group were, um, if, if they got into a relationship or, or they got into a situation and they weren't behaving, um, you know, the way that uh, that a, a sober, you know, emotionally, um, you know, uh, sober person should be acting, that sometimes that they would drink um, just so they could get a restart, you know, on, you know, their recovery. And they could say, hey, I, uh, you know, I was doing this because I was on my way to a, a relapse. And, uh, and so, you know, then that would excuse that behavior and, and they would, you know, restart their their recovery again um, because of that and so that was something that that you know that uh, I talked to my sponsor at that time about and and she gave me the the you know tool or the idea that I don't have to drink to restart 
you know, my sobriety or my recovery or whatever it is that's going on with me, um, that, that I can just do it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that I don't have to go to the extreme of, you know, messing up my life uh, worse by drinking again um, or, you know, doing some other substance um, to relieve my pain that, that I could actually, you know, take some of these tools that I was starting to work with and, um, and use those and, um, and look at it again, you know, do an inventory, whatever it was that I needed to do. And, and that was helpful for me because again, I, I saw it with quite a few people in my, my age group and my little cohort, um, that, that they were doing that. And some of them didn't make it back to, um, to recovery, at least as far as I'm aware. Um, so yeah, that's my plug for this week is that, you know, if you're, you're struggling, you don't have to drink or, you know, use a substance to restart your time. You know, the time thing is, you know, whatever. <laughs> that's another one that, that, um, that uh, is difficult within the rooms, you know, because, uh, you know, I, it, it takes time to get time and all of that kind of stuff. But again, um, you know, it plays into emotional uh, sobriety and that not everybody who has a lot of time is, uh, you know, uh, behaving or the best role model for how to have a balanced life. Um, some of them are. And, uh, and that, um, yeah, I think that uh, for me, I'm more impressed with people who talk about, you know, their recovery time and stuff um, because sometimes it takes people, you know, quite a few tries to get this thing going. And, uh, and, you know, if you do relapse, it doesn't mean that you didn't learn anything from the last time, you know, that you were, you were in recovery and, and trying to work on things. Um, so, yeah, so I, I'm, I think that that's something to, to consider with uh, emotional sobriety is, you know, totally uh, some of the la language we use. And, yep. and you're smart not to put uh, people on pedestals, um, the, and, and assume just because they have so much time that they have their act together because you're right there are people who don't and that's just something that we have to accept and and because that's the fact of our, ex our existence our life not everybody perhaps in an AA meeting has our best interests at heart you know and that's something to be aware of you know uh, there are predators in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous that's something that you know it's a fact and we have to be be aware of that and deal with it and, you know, it's like, that's part of our emotional sobriety is not needing the, <laughs> not needing to believe, I guess, that everybody is good, but you need, you need to, you know, um, I guess it's important to trust people and so forth, but it's just to have that reality, I guess. Yeah. 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 It, I, nobody really talked to me about, you know, developing discernment early on in AA. <laughs> and so that is something that, uh, that would have been, would have been helpful. Um, but yeah. Discernment is something that, that has grown in me or that I've learned from um, being in recovery. And again, it's not all from AA. Sometimes it's from therapy. Sometimes it's from books and, and other things like that. But uh, learning to be discerning of who you, you place your trust with, um, you know, learning to um, let people show you who they are. Um, that's one of the things I got out of my first uh, inventory is that I didn't let people show me who they were. I, I, you know, jumped into friendships or relationships or whatever it was. Um, and then I made up my own idea of who the person was, you know, and then they, you know, usually didn't turn out to be what I had made up. They, you know, 
for some reason had their own ideas about who they were and um, and that you know for me in friendship it's a, it's important to you know to give a little to start a friendship um, but also you know uh, let people show me who who they are because you know eventually they will and just as people get to know me you know they they'll see who I truly am um, but that it's a it's a time thing and and it takes some discernment and so not to just throw my um my vulnerability out at anyone um is uh, i've heard is, people say that if somebody tells you what they are and who they are believe them uh yeah you know to oh, an extent I mean, <laughs> but, yeah, I did that like, uh, you know yeah uh, I, I, yeah i guess I you, I, it can't be a blanket <laughs> statement because of course uh they could <laughs> I guess that doesn't really yeah. work. I guess I'm thinking about a certain politician, you know, who is right, right. Yeah, <laughs> say, yeah. Uh, you know, he tells you what he's, uh, whatever, whatever. Yeah, no, I, I don't know about that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that, might not, be, that listening, might not be. Listening to four steps, you know, I, I hear from people who are all right, fifth steps, I guess. Um, you know, and uh, and the person that they think they are is is not the person who I see in front of me, and and um, you know, helping them to see. A little bit more of the person that that I see in front of me is is part of that, um, you know. So again, learning uh, the balance and discernment and uh, and what all of that means, you know. There, there's so much, so much. Well, Angela, you want to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, the news if people haven't heard about um, Ixa being postponed? Uh, not really, but yeah. we can. <laughs> 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 well, I already posted it on uh, AA Beyond Belief, and it's been posted on the Secular AA Coffee Shop um, group. But basically, the the it's not a big deal. But um, well, it could be a big deal for some people. But we had to postpone that conference uh, for a year because of the um, coronavirus situation. And I think it was the is the right thing to do. Um, but fortunately the hotel is going to give us the same deal the following year. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. There was some discussion about, you know, different ideas of, you know, how to handle it, you know, um, if we move it to, you know, spring or move it to something else or not have it all together or have it digitally. And, and, um, uh, several of us heard from people on, on what, um, what would work best for them. And so as a group, we decided that uh, postponing it for another year would probably be um, the best for right now. And, you know, if we have to you know, look at that differently at some time, then we, we probably will. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think most people understand. I think it was the, the really the only thing that we could have done. But anyway, for anyone who doesn't know, if you're listening to this podcast now, you know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. I yeah, always like to break the news, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, with the, I'm always yeah, in competition the, with Roger and AA Agnostica yeah, to break the news, news first. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm usually like, um, yeah, I guess I heard that too. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you have questions, then you know how to reach, uh, reach most of us, um, from secular AA and, and we can let you know, you know, the best of, of what we know right now. But, um, again, you know, hopefully there'll be a vaccine out by that time. And, um, some people who are suffering some difficulties financially will be able to, you know, make up for that and, and be able to go. But yeah, there was a, a lot of different factors into, you know, why this was, um, was probably the the best decision for us to make it this time. So anyway, that's that. Uh, we're coming up on an hour. 
Uh, if there are no other callers, you give one more chance for someone to call in if they'd like to. Uh, yes, Bree, it was the conference in D.C., the International Conference of Secular AA. It was scheduled for the end of October of uh, 2020, but we rescheduled it for the end of October of 2021 uh, because the situation that at present just wasn't, you know, likely that we could uh, put that conference on. Yeah. And, and even if things are starting to, to reopen, you know, over the summer, um, there are still a lot of questions about, again, finances for some people and um, the safety for some people, you know, our, our population, um, you know, may not be traveling as much yet at that time either. And so by putting it out another year, it, uh, it seems like it would be uh, the best for the, the majority of people who were planning to attend it. So. Well, I enjoyed this discussion about emotional sobriety. I actually learned a lot preparing for this. I, you know, it gave me an opportunity to stop and think about it. And, you know, I might take away some of uh, what I read uh, and maybe start putting it into use. I think it's all about just learning to cope with life, you know, on life's terms. Yeah, just be, being able to, to be in reality and uh, cope with reality and, and try to find balance in your life. So I will go ahead and close us on out. Thank you, everybody, uh, for um, hanging out with us in the chat room. And thank you for all the people in the future who will be listening to the podcast as it airs on Apple. Um, it's always a lot of fun to do this. And I appreciate you all uh, giving us the opportunity. So that's it. That's another episode of AA Beyond Belief. We'll be back again with another episode every Friday. Uh, we will be posting these live YouTube streams. And uh, I actually have some other episodes that I'll be posting that were recorded in the past. I've got one coming out this Sunday. So we'll be posting on Friday and Sunday new episodes of the podcast. So anyway, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back again real soon. Take care. Thanks, everyone.